Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. And today, we are going to talk about more NBA nicknames. This is an occasional series that we are doing where we go through and talk about how each NBA team got their nickname. With so many teams to go through, we are going division by division. We already did the Pacific and Atlantic divisions, so if you want to hear one of those, you can go back to episode 7 or 11 respectively to check them out. Something that has always fascinated me are team nicknames. I love the history and the connection to the area or the city where the team plays. I've always thought that a team nickname should capture the region or city where they play. Now, that doesn't always happen, but it's nice when it does. So let's get started with today's teams. The Denver Nuggets began their life in the old ABA as the Denver Rockets in 1967. They wanted a name that sounded futuristic and hopeful. With the space race between the United States and the Soviet Union in full swing, it made a lot of sense. It was a team with a name for the future. Their original color scheme was orange and black and their logo was just a basketball with the words Denver Rockets on it. They later switched to purple and yellow with their logo as an anthropomorphic rocket with arms and legs running across the Rocky Mountains while dribbling a basketball. However, there was a problem with the name Rockets. There was a team in the NBA already known as the Rockets. So when it seemed like that the two leagues might merge, there was no way you could have two teams called the Rockets. One of them would have to change. And it certainly wasn't going to be the NBA Rockets that were going to change. I mean, it's not like this is the Canadian Football League, who for a time had a team called the Rough Riders, spelled as one word, and another team called the Rough Riders, spelled as two words. So in hopes of joining the NBA, the Denver Rockets reached back into NBA history. There had been a previous team in the NBA that played for only one season in 1949-1950 called the Denver Nuggets. So they revived the name and the Denver Nuggets was again part of the NBA. The name fits very well because back in the 1800s there was a mining boom in Colorado where both gold and silver were discovered. It was common at the time for people seeking their fortune to spend hour after hour panning for gold nuggets along the Colorado River and elsewhere. Their new Nuggets logo featured a cartoon prospector. He looked like Stinky Pete from Toy Story 2, except he was wearing a basketball uniform while holding a pickaxe in one hand and a basketball in the other. They later changed to the Rainbow Skyline logo. It looked like a game of Tetris being played with the Rocky Mountains in the background. Their current logo features crisscrossing pickaxes with a basketball and a mountain at the top. At this point, 
the Nuggets are still looking for their first championship. But with players like Murray and Jokic currently leading the way, they stand a decent chance to get one. The next team is the Minnesota Timberwolves. They were a brand new expansion team that debuted in 1989. And for the first time since the Lakers left nearly 30 years earlier, there would once again be NBA basketball in the state of Minnesota. Their choice of names came down to two, the Timberwolves or the Polars. Not the Polar Bears, just the Polars. The team decided that since Minnesota was one of only two states with significant numbers of this particular species of wolves, they decided to go with Timberwolves. Alaska happens to be the other state with Timberwolves. Also, the Timberwolf offers that sense of ferocity and aggressiveness. The team is usually known as the T-Wolves for short, or just Wolves. It's a great name for a team from Minnesota. Their color scheme of blue and green really captured the blue waters of Minnesota's many lakes and the green forest found almost everywhere in the state. Their logo originally featured a wolf in front of a basketball. Later, it was a growling wolf coming out of the forest. It's perfect for Minnesota. Next on the list are the Portland Trailblazers known as the Blazers for short. They started as a brand new expansion team in 1970. The name Trailblazers is a reference to the men who established the Oregon Trail, which was an east-west wagon route that connected the states of Missouri and Oregon. The Oregon Trail greatly eased traveling the 2,000 or so miles from Independence, Missouri, a Kansas City suburb today, to the various valleys in Oregon. Fur traders established it to help increase trade along the route. The trail was extremely important in early American history as it helped spur economic growth in the western part of the continent and laid the foundation to continue expanding westward for the United States. The name perfectly captures Oregon history. And as I've said before, I love it when a team's nickname has a connection to the region or city where they play. They won their only championship in 1977 when they were led by Bill Walton. Their logo has always been some variation of an original symbol that kind of looks like a red and white yin and yang symbol. And that brings us to our break. We'll cover the last two teams right after this. Welcome back. Let's keep going with the Oklahoma City Thunder. They began life in the NBA as the Seattle Supersonics back in 1967. They were often referred to as the Sonics for short, and the city of Seattle used to serve as the headquarters for the Boeing Corporation, which makes airplanes. The year before the basketball team was announced, the folks at Boeing began work on a Concorde-like plane to be called the Supersonic. It was supposed to take passenger air travel to the next level, achieving speeds in excess of the sound barrier. The announcement was really big news at the time. I mean, an airplane that could take regular passengers at speeds faster than the speed of sound? That was the future. The next step would be flying cars and we would all be living like the Jetsons. So when it was time to name the new basketball team, the Supersonics was an overwhelmingly obvious choice. Unfortunately, the airplane never made it out of development. Boeing was having too many problems with the plane and canceled the project. So the players on the basketball team were the only supersonics to actually exist. 
and they won their only championship in 1979 when they were led by Jack Sigma, Dennis Johnson, Gus Johnson, and downtown Freddie Brown. Their green and yellow color scheme captures the very green terrain of the northwestern United States. The logo was usually the Seattle skyline in front of a basketball with the Seattle Space Needle featured prominently. In the mid-1990s, they formally shortened their name to just the Seattle Sonics, and they introduced the color red into their uniform. Then in 2008, in a complete shock to the people of Seattle, the new owners of the team decided that they would move the team to Oklahoma City, where they would change their name to the Thunder, in reference to the many thunderstorms that occur in the area. Their new color scheme was blue and orange, and their logo featured the word Thunder over a basketball and the letters OKC for Oklahoma City. This also brings us to a trivia question. Who was the last Seattle Sonics player to still play in the NBA? Well, the answer is Kevin Durant and Jeff Green. They both played their rookie years in Seattle before they moved on to other teams. Whichever one of them has the longer career will stand alone as the last active supersonic. And that brings us to the last team for today, which is the Utah Jazz. The team joined the NBA as an expansion team in 1974 in the city of New Orleans. And since New Orleans was the capital of jazz music, what better name for the new team than the New Orleans Jazz? It's perfect. Their original color scheme was purple, green, and yellow, the colors often found at Mardi Gras. Everything about this was perfect for New Orleans, even their logo. The letter J in the original jazz logo was formed from a quarter note, with the circular part being a basketball. I mean, not only does it capture the fact that they are a basketball team, it also combines it with the musical history and culture of the city. The only thing they were missing was a King Baby mascot. Well, after just five years, they decided to move to Utah, but kept the name Jazz. It doesn't really make any sense anymore, since you will have a hard time finding live jazz music in Utah. But when they moved, they kept their color scheme for most of the 80s. But in the 90s, they updated their colors to purple and blue. Their logo today is the word jazz with the snow-covered Rocky Mountains and a basketball in the background. Now, at least they're incorporating elements of Utah. At one point, they actually offered the name jazz to the New Orleans Pelicans, so that the Pelicans could be a revival of the name New Orleans Jazz. The Utah Jazz would then pick a new name, but the Pelicans passed on the name and decided to keep the name Pelicans. Sometimes, nicknames can be very confusing. So, there you have it for today. That's the Northwest Division of the NBA. In about a month or so, we'll cover five more nicknames. Next time, we will talk about the first person to be inducted into the Hall of Fame two times. He was inducted as a player, and then later, he was inducted as a coach. That's next time on Basketball History 101. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our Facebook page. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes are ready. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. 
Take care and see you soon. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.